0: This is the Sustainable AI Podcast, a podcast that brings together researchers and industry professionals using machine learning to tackle the United Nations' 17 Sustainable Development Goals. I'm your host, Lily Adelstein. In this episode, I spoke with Kostav Saha, a senior researcher at Microsoft, about a paper he co-authored called Modeling Stress with Social Media Around Incidents of Gun Violence on College Campuses. In 2015, world leaders at the United Nations committed to a set of targets to be achieved by 2030 for a better future for all. These goals are known as the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs for short. SDG number 16 calls for promoting peaceful societies, and it's with this goal in mind that I reached out to Kosovo. Gun violence shatters peace in society, even long after an incident occurs. So how can we begin to understand the residual effects of gun violence that might not be as visible as an open wound? Using machine learning and Reddit, Kostov and his colleagues set out to answer that question and better understand the invisible wounds. You can find a link to the paper in the show notes. Now, without further ado, Kostov Saha.
1: Hi, Lily. Thanks for inviting me. This is a real pleasure to be here on this podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It is so great to have you here today. Mm-hmm. I reached out to you on May 25th, I believe, and it was in the wake of two tragic mass shootings that happened in the U.S. One was the Buffalo shooting in New York. And then I think almost less than two weeks later, there was another shooting at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. And so in the wake of these tragedies, I was really interested in speaking to someone who had done research that talked about the use of machine learning to either mitigate or prevent the harm of gun violence. And so this led me to your paper and and the work that you did with your colleague, and the paper that you co-authored titled "Modeling Stress with Social Media Around Incidents of Gun Violence on College Campuses." And so. Before we dive into the paper, I was wondering if you could introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your current role.
1: Sure. And and I think thanks for sharing that insight about when the when we scheduled the meet, meeting and I think it's, it's even surreal to think I was just thinking about reflecting about it in the morning that that we scheduled this interview over a month back after the Texas shooting event and now that when we are having this interview another major shooting event has happened just like yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh, I mean when I'm calling it major it's sort of quantified based on the number of casualties which kind of say like which is sort of a way to quantify the degree and nature of these events but also that there are many latent and unknown kind of consequences which may which we may miss out on the search. I mean, even if like there is one person who is affected, and then there like it it also affects many folk, cascading effects like within their family and their friends and near and dear ones, and also like other people who could relate very much with these events. But anyways, like so so speaking of my background, so. I am now a senior researcher at Microsoft Research, Montreal. I finished my PhD from Georgia Tech last year, and my interests have been in social computing, computational social science, and human-centered machine learning, where I adopt methods from machine learning, NLP, and causal inference to understand and predict human behaviors and well-being. And for my PhD research and also like sort of what I'm doing next, doing currently ongoing and in my future research, has been focused on situated communities. And when I call about situated communities, these are like geographically co-located communities which have individuals who share many interests, who have like, like seek common resources. And also like a crisis event on these communities can affect different individuals and have like like long lasting and like larger effects compared to, so basically like when when I'm talking about situated communities, this could be our neighborhoods, our college campuses or workplaces. So, I mean, the, I mean, this work that we're talking about modeling stress around gun violence incidents that was on college campuses, the situated community. So speaking of which, I mean, my current research is kind of asking the what next questions, like if we want to deploy these systems with respect to algorithms and machine learning and AI in understanding human behaviors and well-being in practice in the real world, what are the ethics of it? How do we kind of mitigate the harms? Because al- we may be familiar with algorithmic harms and algorithmic fairness related concerns or biases. So how do we mitigate these harms and we we ensure that the, that the benefits are maximized? So that's where my current research lies at broadly with respect to workplaces as well.
0: Thank you for that. And I think it's so interesting that you bring up the context of quantifying impact because whenever we see that a shooting is being reported on, the most often sort of data pieces that are shared is how many people died and how many people were injured. But for example, yesterday in Chicago, I have family that lives very close to where the shooting occurred. They were not harmed but of course there was a negative impact on them it it is very stressful and so quantifying and trying to understand that impact is so important
1: yeah and and in this paper we talk about this thing i mean it's also brought in from another research we cite the work it, it's kind of like invisible wounds like mm-hmm. for example the psychological consequences that it has that consequences that it has on people who can relate with themselves on with with people who are actually the victims or the survivors of these events. So, So these are sort of the invisible wounds which never get quantified or never get shown when we're kind of counting events based on number of casualties. So it goes much beyond that, much beyond and kind of which remains unmeasured and unknown in many circumstances. So kind of like, a little bit overview of this work that we were doing is, was particularly on college campuses and in, in the last 10 years or 20 years, the last 10 years or same, I was looking up a stat, I think there have been like almost 200 gun violence incidents on U.S. college campuses. And, and these kind of have many like negative consequences, including affecting the, the the, the psychological well-being of college students and both individual and or at, at kind of at the group level, at the community level. And college campuses are situated communities where individuals kind of relate themselves very much with each other. Sort of my personal motivation of why I got interested in this kind of work was like when I was doing my undergrad back in India, I saw a number of student deaths, including student suicides. And these were like, this always affected me and my classmates like what could we have like as we as we could have kind of relayed ourselves very much with the um, with the person's shoes and kind of like what could we have done to help these events and kind of like what we did in this particular work was uh, like based on my personal motivation as well as the skills that have acquired with NLP, machine learning. So what we did here was, so college students also discuss and share their life and different um, ins- interactions and kind of connect with each other on social media platforms. As we know, like social media platforms such as it's very popular among the young demographic and also among college students. So in this particular work, we focused on Reddit which has these college subreddit communities, where every college campus have, like different college campuses have their own subreddit communities and students of that college kind of uh, like participate in these communities and discuss about their academic and personal lives. And now when a gun violence event happened on this, Like the offline or the geographical location of the college campus that also people discussed about it on the online community and what we studied was we we built machine learning algorithms to measure stress levels on college like college students expressions and interactions on these communities and how the stress levels varied around these gun violence events on the college campus.
0: And why did you approach this with, with machine learning? Why did you think that machine learning was a good fit for this type of problem?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, so so what we did was we approached this problem in a problem-centric fashion. So basically, it kind of started with, so stress is a very I mean, problem-centric and theory-driven fashion, I would say. So stress is, is a critical construct and kind of, it, it affects college affects college camp college students the prevalence of stress among college students is very high like almost something like two in five students or three in five students have are stressed at some point in the academic the college campus and and this could be based on say academic reasons personal reasons reasons to society, society or relationships this kind of reasons as well so kind of their stress is always high and also like in many college campuses, stress is kind of considered to be a badge of honor. And, but also like stress has kind of many like long lasting effects. It can, it can lead to other mental health morbidities and other kinds of conditions as well. So though, I mean, in a more like a theory driven fashion. So basically stress is hard, stress is typically measured using self-reported survey instruments. And but also like when crisis happens on campus, these self-reported surveys become kind of reactive, and surveys have their biases, kind of uh, such as the recall bias, retrospective depends on retrospective recall. There is hindsight bias, and oftentimes when these surveys are conducted after these crisis events, such as we are talking about a gun violence event on college campus, oftentimes when a When a survey happens, they are like people are displaced over space and time and they may not capture how like what people went through during that period. So we wanted something more proactive and something that could understand this in like a much more real time fashion and basically social media data was sort of in this case like basically it's it's passive it's unobtrusive we are not really intervening or asking someone that how are you feeling now but more like people's naturalistic and self-expressed expressions of how they're feeling and how they're kind of interacting with each other during the event that kind of data we wanted to capture and social media is large scale so what we wanted to do was we kind of built on the NLP advancements with respect to how language can, can also be used to measure these, these dimensions. So thinking of it this way, that language or social media language can also be thought of like a verbal sensor, like what people express in the naturalistic setting, that can be used to understand their mental health or mental well-being attributes. It's kind of analogous to when we visit a psychologist or a counselor they kind of see how we are, like what we are speaking and kind of understand based on our language patterns. It's similar in this case as well.
0: Got it. And so to understand a little bit, just sort of the the design of things. So you have this Reddit data, you have this school shooting data. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of the data that you all started with and what that experience was like collecting it and preparing it and such?
1: Right. So what we did, I mean, I can also go a little bit on the methodological details of it. So basically what we did in this particular case, we first collected a list of gun violence events that happened in U.S. college campuses between 2012 and 2017 and this work was done in 2017 so like that we found like 12 gun violence incidents that happened in the US and what we and and for and to collect this data we we looked at every town for gun violence like every town for gun safety that there's a there's an NGO non-profit organization and we looked at their database for this so once we had this list of college campuses where gun violence events happened with the date of events we looked at for each of these college campus, we, we've looked at their subreddit community on Reddit. So every college campus have their Reddit community as I was mentioning. Mm-hmm. For each of these college subreddit communities, we collected the data two months before the event and two months after the event. So sort of like four months period around around each event, so kind of which kind of also captures a semester structure in a college campus. And we also collected a similar periods data from the previous year and which we call as the control period. So many times, like so basically it was kind of like, we wanted to make like a causal claim that whatever effects we see are due to the gun violence events and not for some other reasons. So that was, that was the reason why we needed the control, the control periods data so control period or comparison periods data kind of also controls for the stress levels of students due to like local factors or like for example if an examination is happening or some academic calendar-based events that is happening which can lead to difference in stress levels so we kind of also wanted to comp- control for that so so for each college campus each college community we had two periods of data one of the control period the one year before the event and the treatment period, which was the time of event that happened. So, and what we did was for these periods for me and each college community, we collected the data on Reddit using Google BigQuery, where which kind of stored Reddit's entire Reddit dump, uh, Reddit data dump. And once we collected this data, we we built say before, after and interrupted time series kind of analysis of how stress levels varied in the treatment period and control period. And we, what we saw was the treatment period had significantly different stress levels, especially around the gun violence event compared to the control, control period.
0: Yeah, and one thing, one, one question I had as well is sort of why stress and not fear? Or is fear sort of part of stress?
1: That's, that's a good question, actually. I mean, one reason why we wanted to study stress is um, it's also like theoretically validated. And we drew on the existing models of stress, how it is measured in literature. And, and I think fear, anxiety, or even say depression, I mean, these are other other attributes, other constructs that also need to be studied. And, and we have kind of not looked at in this particular work of other other dimensions, but we also looked at kind of a related follow-up work on this, which was on active shooter drills in K-12 schools, where we kind of also looked at, say, the other psycholinguistic dimensions of, say, or, or psychological dimensions of depression, anxiety, as well as stress. But yeah, I mean, fear, I mean, the fear, loneliness, or other attributes that could also be studied around gun violence events that happen on college campuses. Another thing that I also wanted to say why why stress is, stress is something that happens with college. It's very prevalent among college students. And, And when you look at some of the time series plots in our paper, you would see that the stress level is like kind of also high in other periods of time. So like when there is an examination, when there is like academic events, I mean, other sorts of events that goes on in college campus, like kind of the college level events, the college students are stressed even in those periods. And and what we wanted to study is how that stress level compared to the baseline stress, also the baseline stress as in the stress levels in other periods also vary during these gun violence events. So that was one of the motivation as well that why we wanted to study stress. But having said that, yes, other attributes and other conditions should also, symptoms, should, symptomatic expressions should also be studied. Another thing, I mean, what I also wanted to mention that's also very interesting finding that we found in our work is we, we not only did one time series analysis, we also did linguistic analysis. And one interesting thing that we found is that when people express stress in most periods of the time year other than in, 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 in say general periods of time, it's more around stress around so things like class, around campus and academic related words. But during these gun violence events, I mean just after the gun violence events, the, the frequency or the prevalence of use of these kind of academic words reduced and more like words such as, The time about people, about solidarity, about sense of belonging. These kind of keywords increased significantly around just after gun violence events. Like people were expressing more about how is everyone doing, like is everyone all right. People were expressing about how they got affected, or their classmates got affected, or how their families. Are worried; these kind of concerns um, kind of got highlighted during this crisis event. So that was another interesting finding that we found related to stress and language interaction.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating. And i I saw in the paper that sort of the three fundamental questions, or included in, in one of the three fundamental questions that you were trying to address, was quantifying linguistic changes and stress experiences. And so it sounds like that was definitely something that you found. Um, following the events. But the second question that you, you, you all pointed out was how can we quantify temporal changes in stress expressions following gun violence in, on campuses? What does that, what does that look like? Quantifying temporal changes? Can you explain that a little bit?
1: Right. I mean, and also like once we what what we want to say is that, First, we built like this classifier, transfer learning classifier on social media language on how Mm -hmm. to measure stress levels. Now, what we did, once we did that, we wanted to see how the stress levels change over a period of time. And by Mm -hmm. time, I was talking about the treatment period and how that also compares to the control period or the period in the previous year where there was no gun violence event on the same college campus. Now, what does it look like? So we kind of, what we saw was very briefly, what we saw was just after the gun violence event, there was a peak in stress levels. I mean, in all of the college campuses, like the stress levels suddenly increased significantly and which which can mean a lot of things, like people were super stressed and people need, needed more attention of like care and sort of like how, how to kind of recover back from these acute stress level changes that happened just after the gun violence events. But also like around, um, after a period of time, say like seven days or two weeks, these stress levels kind of started reducing and sort of got back to the normal or the new normal. Now we are much more familiar with how it happened with the COVID wave when the COVID started in 2020. Initially, there was a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress levels around people. And then over a period of time, people started adapting to the new normal, as people say. I mean, similar phenomenon we also saw in these gun violence events on college campuses that how people started recovering back after a period of while. But but also, like, having said that, even even though I'm saying recovering back, but that's more at a community scale, there might be people who were, like, very stressed during this period and they needed more attention after... After a while, and I mean that's something that kind of goes towards policy implications as well as campus administration-related implications. That how they can support students better uh, after t- t- crisis events on college campuses. And and also the other temporal aspect was kind of goes back to the real-time real-time understanding that this kind of shows that there are computational means using passive data. Passive sensing data and sort of like unobtrusive means of data on understanding people's well-being on college campuses and how we can make inter support interventions based on that, more timely and tailored interventions based
0: on that. Yeah, I this is a, a pretty different example, but I worked in Congress during the insurrection. Mm-hmm. And so it was this event that sort of happened to everybody that was working in Congress all at the same Mm. time. And it it wasn't a mass shooting by any means, but it was interesting because you had to make decisions about like, when do you sort of get back to work? How much time do you kind of give people to like experience the stress of what happened? And it was difficult for, I think, offices to make those decisions. Yeah,
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, again, like it it might not be done violence events, but these are all crisis events. These are sort of anomalies, anomalies or like certain events that kind of affect like our day-to-day way of living. And, and I think some of these policy interventions and policy changes need more informed decision-making. And I feel like some of these data-driven or empirical evidences through these studies can provide this complementary insights towards this decision-making. And why, why I'm saying complementary insights is because it's important to understand that these algorithms may not be always as effective as we think they might be. And also they they may have like these biases related issues, the issues related to validity, like they may not be capturing the entire picture and they may lead to say, I mean, on the surface, they may lead to different kinds of interpretations than what the data says. So I think that's why it's also important to kind of understand and look into these algorithms and see how we are kind of making decisions based on that. So kind of we need to be conscious about how we take inferences from these machine learning algorithms in the real world.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And one thing you said early on is sort of your focus. It sounds like in the question of like, what next? Uh, And I guess... A lot of times with the term machine learning, you hear the subsequent term prediction. And so sometimes machine learning is used to sort of predict events and and try Mm. to mitigate them or intervene before they happened. Mm. Why focus on what next instead of sort of predicting what might happen and intervening before?
1: Mm. Well, that's a great question. And I think when I said about what next is more about Think of it, this works like, these are still done in retrospect. So this is kind of observational. This like these events have had happened. And then we kind of build machine learning models to see that, oh, this has this effectiveness to kind of quantify this, to understand this. So that's kind of the retrospective nature of, I mean, most of the studies are being done or the effectiveness of these algorithms are shown in the retrospect. But what I'm asking next is that would these algorithms be as effective or as kind of useful as we are seeing in, say, the prospective settings, in the real-time settings? So, like, if, if we were to, like, for example, in this particular work, if we were to build a machine learning algorithm, which are kind of monitors and I'm sometimes saying monitors, it's kind of within quotes, monitors student activity on social media and in the real-time, and kind of based on that, It kind of makes inferences on who is stressed or how to support it. I mean, it may have the best of intentions, but even then it can cause harms. Like students may not feel comfortable about expressing what they would have ideally expressed if there was someone not surveilling them or someone not monitoring them. So like think of it this way, that the social media platforms were never created to kind of Understand our mental health levels. So the social media platforms were kind of created, or people participate on them to connect and interact with each other. But if they if these are also used, used and for different purposes, such as understanding mental health levels, understanding or making different sort of interventions. I mean, also like for good and bad purposes as well. Like there are many bad actors, like targeted advertising could be one of the things, or it could be like, who is kind of denied or provided insurance claims, that could be another use of these algorithms in this real world based on which kind of infer people's mental health levels. So that is where I mean people might become conscious and they do not use the platform and that's why we also need to like as machine learning builders we also need to kind of re-question and reflect on what we are building and how it doesn't cause these harms and and also so that, I mean, these kind of harms could also like compromise the relationship between, or relationship or the trust between individuals and algorithms and people may not be participating on these platforms as intended to be. So again, like these algorithms may fail again, based on how people start interacting on them in the real world. So that's why I was asking this question on what next and kind of the prospective use of these algorithms, we need to be more careful of what we are building what we are measuring and are we measuring these in kind of the proper way without hurting people's consent, hurting people's privacy perceptions. That's also something that we need to consider.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people are, are sort of, I wouldn't say worry. I guess worried is the right word about mm-hmm. bias and consent and privacy when it comes to AI. So yeah. How do you recommend when people evaluate this kind of project how do they think about bias and and these other concerns in this context? I
1: think, I think one way to see it is that we need to understand the limits and what the, the intentions of the algorithms I mean kind of like all data can be biased like even the data that we used I mean the study can be biased there is a lot of self-selection in terms of like who is participating on this platform. This may not capture people's all sorts of like the real, real life. I mean, it may not have the holistic measurement. So I think how I see it would be like, these are like complementary modes of information and we should still collect other sorts of information and like could be through surveys, could be through speaking with people, could be through other forms of insights. But basically we need to combine them together. And also along with say, uh, there, there needs to be proper ethical guidelines or standards that kind of say like how an algorithm can be used in the real world and what kind of uh, what we need to take care of when we make decisions based on them. So I think that is what I, I would also say that it's important we don't we we just don't blindly follow the algorithms and make decisions on say sort of like in if if we were to build well workplace related algorithms we shouldn't just blindly follow the algorithm and kind of uh, make decisions of on hiring or firing employees in in the in terms of college college campuses I mean we shouldn't be making I mean if people's consent should also be taken care of like are people consenting to what are people aware of what is being measured on their data, who has access to this data, these kind of questions. So those are important dimensions. And as we are, as you rightly said, that as we are getting into more of this data and AI is getting more embedded in our lives and in our data, these kind of transparency, these kind of questions should be re-asked and like asked more and more, and also like people need to have that awareness as well. Like we need to, we need to ensure like as, as algorithm builders or decision makers, we need to ensure that, that, that we are making people aware of what is being done on, through these algorithms.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. One thing I found very interesting or one point that was mentioned in the paper is the challenge of collecting mm-hmm. ground truth data in this concept, in this context, and y- the use of transfer learning to help mitigate that challenge. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And I think challenge of collecting ground truth is is a problem in machine learning in general as well, and more so for, say, human data and human-centered machine learning problems. So what we did in this particular case is we, so on Reddit, there is also communities on depression, anxiety, stress. So basically for this particular study, we, we looked at the stress community where our stress, where people express on their stress levels, like they are stressed with these aspects of life or they are worried about something they are they are concerned about something related to their circumstances in their lives so we collected the data from the stress level from the r stress community and that served as the positive class of high stress level high stress data and for the negative class we collected um like just random Reddit data from, say, the top occurring Reddit uh, communities, such as like R, R like music or movies or Ask Science. We just collected data from there, and then and that served as the negative class on our classifier. And we built a built a very simple SVM-based classifier which had the positive class from the R stress data and negative class from the other Reddit data, our control Reddit data, and then we kind of built this classifier. We found very decent accuracy. What we also did was we manually validated kind of this data that what was being measured of these classifiers by three experts. And again, we saw that this classifier was actually capturing people's stress levels, uh, stress expressions. Uh, So stressful expressions, I would say like uh, the language, I would not say, the classifiers were capturing people's stress level, but more like classifiers were capturing if an expression, social media expression, has has stressful expression experience in that uh, or not. And and so once so that was kind of the transfer learning approach that we had for this particular classifier. And later in some of my my later works, what we also did we built similar transfer learning classifiers for depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation as well, and we kind of studied how. These all different levels, these all different language expressions varied around different say whether it's COVID-19 or say after some if someone takes an antidepressant as well. I feel like there is a lot of potential and effectiveness with these algorithms and this data, and we can find like complementary empirical insights, but we also need to be mindful of the ethics and privacy aspects of it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. I know we really only got sort of the peak of the iceberg, but I'll also include a link to the paper in the episode
1: show notes. Thank you so much.